the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Delighted to have you with us. Carol is a nationally known gerontologist, chairman of the board of the National Council on Aging, and serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, among other things. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. And you have a special guest who's a runner coming on with us in just a couple of moments, but she's not here because she's a runner. Amy Quintero is a nurse practitioner, but said, oh, you're the Carol Zernio. The, we the, the one with the run on April 30th where yes. we're raising money for seniors and caregivers. Yes. Yes, I'm that Carol Zernio with the run for seniors April 30th. And Amy is a nurse practitioner is going to talk about the Bridges program at WellMed Medical Management. We'll tell you about that in just a few minutes. But first, you are fresh back from Washington, D.C. You missed the shooting at the Capitol. Well, I'm happy I missed yes. the shooting at the Capitol. That's horrible. It'd be scary. No, it'd be very scary. I mean, all the uh, every all the violence it, uh, everywhere. It's awful. Awful. Is it's really awful. Um, so no, we had we had peaceful. It was supposed to snow and it didn't snow, so I was happy about that. But I was at the Aging in America conference, which is the largest aging conference in the United States every year. Nine hundred sessions, three thousand people. If you can imagine, three thousand people all talking about the elderly. You know, that most people run run screaming for the doors. Now, it's the reverse of living in space where you lose years. Do you gain years at the aging conference? Well, you know, you, you when you look around and you've been in the business as long as I have, you, abs- you actually feel like you've gained all those years. You're like, why does everybody look so young now? Wasn't that me a few years ago? And it was. And it, and it was, but it's not now anymore. So, But it's, no, it's exciting to see uh, the interest that people have that are new to the career and their energy so all of that's good because the rest of us are going to retire someday and we need to pass the torch well what is hot in terms of topics new directions developments when it comes to aging in america well i think the big realization was it was it was the 65th anniversary for the national council on the aging so they've been around 65 years they are one of the original national aging organizations and that's kind of a symbolic date but what we really talked about across the conference was that you know we've been talking about the baby boomers the baby boomers they're coming they're coming they're coming well we've been talking about that for our entire careers and we realized it's now you know today it's 10,000 people turning 65 every day the boomers are here and this transformation um, is starting to take place in terms of you know the increased demand uh, redefining what it means to be old, the heavy burdens that family caregiving caregivers face, lack of a long-term care system. Um, and I think the new topic that really came up is the tremendous growth in poverty among older people. Uh, and we talked about caregivers who, as we've mentioned on this show, if you quit your job to become a caregiver, you are giving up approximately $325,000 in income. Money you'll never see. Money you will never see. You didn't earn it. You didn't get interest on it. You didn't earn Social Security for it. Um, And so there is a push for tax credits for family caregivers, and there is a push for um, reimbursement for family caregivers, as well as Social Security quarter credit. So you can only collect Social Security if you contributed for a certain number of quarters in your life. And you want to hit that magic number, we want family caregivers who have dropped out of the workforce to take care of their families to still count that work in the home 
Um, and, and I know that there are a lot of stay-at-home moms that would feel the same way. You know, you didn't pay for child care. You decided to stay right. at home. So should you not get counted for Social Security for that time? But what you need are receptive members of Congress. What we need is receptive members of Congress. And we really need Congress um, to represent those people who are, you know, the ones with the least options, which is interestingly the the middle class and lower middle income folks. Um, not to say that we, we have grave concerns about people on the lower end of the spectrum, but so many middle class people are pushed into poverty in their old age, whether it's from caregiving, whether it's from health care expenditures, whether it's from a lack of affordable housing. It's a very precarious time. So there's there's a lot of work to be done. It doesn't look like um, we're going to be out of a job anytime soon. Any interest in uh, expanding Medicare coverage to include nursing home and long-term care? Well, the the idea of a of a long-term care either they've talked about a for people who are middle-aged sort of a buyback program for long-term care insurance. That was the biggest idea that I heard that's being pushed that I hadn't really heard before so that let's say you're in your 50s which usually long-term care insurance Medicare does not pay for long-term care, which is 30% of people believe that Medicare is going to pay for nursing home coverage. It doesn't. And so you can't afford to get long-term care insurance when you're in your 50s. It would cost as much as paying for a nursing home. So you might as well put the money in savings. But if you could do a buyback where you could pay a lump sum and get into a long-term care program later in life because of the number of baby boomers there are that will need some sort of long-term care eventually – uh, that's one of the initiatives that's really being pushed this year in the Congress. If they all spent down and tried to move into Medicaid for long-term care, they'd bankrupt Medicaid. Well, the problem is is we have an all-private pay or an all-public pay system. So any you know families that need assisted living or nursing home care, that's their only choice, private pay or public pay, public pay being Medicaid. Uh, and it's kind of bad for both. We either put tremendous strain on people, their resources they have to spend down, or we expect the government to pay for everything. You've just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Amy Quintero is going to join us in a couple of moments, a nurse practitioner uh, with the WellMed Bridges program, and we're going to tell you about that. She actually goes into the homes of WellMed patients and others. We'll tell you how that works and why that's making a big difference in the delivery of health care for a whole lot of folks. Uh, as a wrap-up, before we jump to something else, the uh, Aging in America conference, 3,000 people in Washington talking about aging. Uh, did you come away with, with any sense of, hey, things are really moving forward? Um, I believe that caregiver issues are really coming into focus. There's been a shift recently, but for all the caregivers that are out there listening, I think that there are enough people. uh, We talk about mobilizing family caregivers, caregivers voting, uh, letting their voices be heard. uh, and, And really these issues have to come to a forefront because it's just too expensive and it's just too crazy uh, and the other mantra I'm going to pick up is simplifying Medicare. We could not have made it any more complicated. So many people are making poor decisions with their Medicare, and we have to make it easier for people to understand. That would be a good thing. That would be a great thing. We'll continue looking at those issues over time, but I've got an upbeat topic, and that is for those folks who are working out how about a little bit of dark chocolate before you hit the treadmill? I was just wishing I had a little square of dark chocolate right now. So here's the really good news. After you've been in Washington for a week, you need good news. So this out of the New York Times, Gretchen Reynolds, saying a little dark chocolate added to your workout may actually boost your endurance performance. Huh. Which means that they used, uh, there's a nutrient in dark chocolate, in cocoa. So it's darker chocolate, the more cocoa that's in it. Um, the more you get of the nutrient, which I can't pronounce and I'm not even going to try. <laughs> but um, it it increases the oxygen in your blood vessels. So it increases the nitric oxide, which 
makes your blood vessels expand, which allows more blood flow, which gives you greater endurance. So all those people that are cheating in sports, this is what they are trying to do artificially. Think Lance Armstrong. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, and there are ways you can do it which are, you know, illegal or maybe dangerous. So what they found is that a little bit of dark chocolate and a little is 40 grams, which is, okay, think a square and a half of dark chocolate. Ooh. We're not talking the whole bar. The whole bar makes you gain That's weight. Just a taste. <laughs> yeah, the whole bar makes you gain weight a little bit. And in particular, this was all published in the Journal of International Society of Sports Medicine. Um, what they found is that basically for recreational athletes, those would be people like you and me who are not training for the Olympics. Not yet. Or for the Tour de France. Or not any, even the Senior Olympics. Or even the Senior Olympics. That riders, so you know, they let them try dark chocolate and white chocolate, which has... No, none of those dark chocolate nutrients in it at all. Um, and they switched them, you know, two weeks with dark chocolate, two weeks white chocolate, and then the group switched. And in the two weeks that they took the dark chocolate, they actually were able to ride further. They had better endurance. Um, and so the upshot of the finding is recreational athletes who want to improve their performance, instead of having a cookie or a snack, you substitute that for your square and a half of dark chocolate so you don't gain any more weight and then you get that extra endurance boost. I like that. You know, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice and try a little dark chocolate to improve my workout. Maybe we need to get you. into a study like that. Um, yes, let's sign up. We should sign up let's and do sign that. Up. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask you, when, when you take a look at folks who go into the hospital, who spend a little time, at some point they get discharged, for them... What's the most dangerous time? So the most dangerous time in the hospital is discharge. And this also came from the New York Times. It was a really interesting article written by um, a resident. And he was talking about why is it different. Uh, because and he was talking about in the intake process, right? A lot of times, particularly in a teaching hospital, during when you, the intake process, you get the family history, what's going on, everybody consults. This is what we're going to do. But in discharge planning, you want to go home. The patient wants to go home. Uh, the doctor that's been handling that patient the most may or may not be on the floor when it actually is time to leave the hospital. People are rushing towards decisions. Lab results may not have come back. You have labs that need to be taken upon follow-up, discharge out of the hospital with your primary care doctor. The doctors in the hospitals need to talk to the primary care doctor outside of the hospital. And so all the opportunities for bad communication happen at discharge. And everybody's just trying to get you out. Oh, my gosh, there's a rehab bed available. You know, or the patient's not going to do this anymore. I'm getting out of here today. You know, and I'm thinking of my father as I say that. We've all been there with somebody <laughs> yeah, who have. wants to get out of the hospital. And so, you know, the the transferring the information. It, so caregivers need to know. The reason we're talking about this is that caregivers need to understand what needs to happen post-discharge. They need to be listening at the discharge to make sure everything happened. You know, they've got the medications. They understand the contraindications. If something goes south when I get home, what does that look like? That's what we want people to know, that we want them to have that list of meds and go see your primary care doctor. At WellMed, we do it within 24 hours. Best practices is with three days, certainly within seven days. And ask the question, have you talked to the people in the hospital? Do you know if I'm supposed to have extra tests? But that follow-up appointment is huge. 30 seconds. Tell us about the run that's coming up. The run for seniors. Oh, there's a run for seniors on April 30th. April 30th. Sponsored by the WellMed Charitable Foundation here in San Antonio. So come to San Antonio and run with us. We're at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side, 8 a.m., raising money for seniors and caregivers. Bring your kids. Bring your dogs. We've got a kids' carnival, and we're dunking our doctors. So if you've ever wanted to dunk a doc, Today, you know, April 30th is the day. It's a Saturday. You're going to be there, Ron. I am going to be there, but not dunking. Not dunking. Well, <laughs> Michael O'Malley's dunking and for And I me. will be there running. And if you don't, you know, it's just um, $25. And if you want to sleep in, you can be a sleepwalker and you get a free blanket like with that. Trying to get Gina to bring the kids. We'll see. Stand by. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. Amy Quintero, just a few minutes from now, will be with us. And if you want to register for the run, just go to wellmedgives.org and you can register. I like that. We're going to talk to Amy in just a moment. Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. 
If you're interested in getting fit and you care about seniors who are struggling, the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors is just for you. Doctors agree physical fitness may be the magic bullet for so many health-related issues. So please join us for a family-friendly event Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio. The event benefits programs supporting seniors and caregivers in our community. And meet special guest, District 124 State Rep. Ina Minjares. There will be plenty of food, games, prizes, fitness activities. Hey, it's pet friendly and a whole lot more. Plus seniors age 60 and over and children 10 and younger run or walk for free. So the cost is just $25 for regular registration through April 27th and $30 on race day. If you prefer to sleep in, it's just $25 for sleepwalkers. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio. To register, go to wellmedcharitablefoundation.org. And a follow-up on that, we sure want to see you at the uh, WellMed uh, Run Walk for Seniors, the WellMed Charitable Foundation. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air. And we're delighted to welcome from the WellMed Bridges program, and she will explain everything you need to know about it. Uh, Amy Quintero. Uh, Dr. Quintero is a nurse practitioner. She uh, is a graduate of the UT Health Science Center with her degrees and has been with WellMed. You don't look old enough since 1997. She looks about 10 years old, Carol. I know, 10 years. Are we getting older? Is that what's happening? I'm telling you. It's not the rose-colored glasses. I think we're getting older. I think so. Nice to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thank you all for having me here. So tell us about the Bridges Program. Okay, well, the Women Bridges Program was established about two years ago, and we're a home-based, home-based program that goes into the home to see at-risk home seniors. Um, we are located in San Antonio, but we travel all throughout San Antonio inside 1604. Where, for, go ahead. Um, actually, we're referred by the patient's primary care physician. And from there, we establish um, a phone call to the patient, explaining the program after the primary care doctor has already called and talked to them about it. And then we go into the home and see them in their home-type setting. Now, you're a nurse practitioner, and for those who don't know, what does that mean? So basically, I have my master's degree in nursing, and my focus is in geriatrics. Um, there's multiple you know, different disciplines in, as nurse practitioners, but mine is in geriatrics. So you get your four-year degrees, your bachelor's in nursing, and then you go two and a half to three more years to complete your master's program. And why did you pick geriatrics? Well, when I was in my undergrad studies, um, a professor came to talk to us and said geriatrics was a booming population and <laughs> the baby boomers. And so, I, you know, everything just called out to me, and my grandparents were aging at the time, and I was like, this is, this is meant for me at this moment. So, and all my life, I mean... Since I was an LVN in 97, I've been practicing geriatrics with WellMed, what wasn't WellMed at the time. But um, so since 1997, I've been working with the geriatric population. So it's a, one of my first loves. Yeah, see, so many of us have gotten into this field because of grandparents, you know, relatives. Uh, and it's funny, even when I was in Washington, D.C. recently, I was at breakfast and I heard a table next to us and they were saying, oh, I could never work with children. You know, and the whole table agreed, oh, we don't want to work with children. That's funny. And that's exactly what I said yesterday. Somebody was saying, oh, they're going into pediatrics. I was like, why would you go to pediatrics? Like, I can't even imagine, you know. So, I mean, geriatrics, they offer so much history and so much life story. I mean, it's just an amazing journey. Now, I'm assuming the patients that you're going to see in their homes often may be too frail uh, to conveniently go from the home to the clinic to be seen. That is correct. That's the goal of our program, to target those patients with multiple medical problems that cannot get out of the home to go see their doctor in the clinic setting. Problems for, like? For whatever reason, whether it be dementia, mobility issues, um, they've recently had a stroke. And, you know, some of our patients, once we get them back on their life journey of wellness, they get to go back to their primary doctor, and that's always a good thing. We do have graduates. It's not, you're in our program, and you're never going to go back to see your primary doctor. And that's a lot of concern of our patients. Wait, who's my primary doctor? And so we're like, no, you can go see your primary doctor. Oh, and that's nice because they have that relationship and you have that trust. 
Absolutely. with a physician. Well, you were mentioning to us that you're part of the palliative care team at WellMed, and a lot of people think that palliative care equals hospice care, but that's not quite right, is it? No, that isn't actually. So we are, I would say, maybe a piece of it. So we manage life-limiting conditions. We also recognize when patients are heading towards hospice care. So we take care of the sickest of the sick, so patients with multiple medical problems, and help them along their journey of their medical illness. And show them and you know these are signs of maybe decline or these are signs of getting better and help them recognize what they truly want in their disease process or how things are going in their disease process so we really want them to understand what is going on and what we need to do to help them she's amy quintero with the wellmed bridges program i'm ron aaron along with carol zernio you're listening to caregiver sos on air on 9:30 a.m the answer well and what you're talking about is really sort of you're with the patient and you're asking them about what they want to do with their life. So these are people that have health conditions. They're not going to get better necessarily. They're not going to be cured. Um, and you know, they're probably not on hospice, not last year of life, but they're not. their condition is such it's not going to improve. Correct. A lot of our patients, their long-term chronic illness is not going to improve. So we try to help stabilize the condition and recognize signs if it's worsening so we can prepare them for their next step in, in their journey. And then in the meantime, you're talking to them about what what are their priorities? Is it to be pain-free? Is it to have more energy and run around with grandkids? You know, what is it that they want to accomplish? What do you hear from your patients when you have those types of conversations? What do you hear? So I guess I have to go back to the first time we meet a patient, and that's where we try to start defining our goals. What is our goal in this condition? Is your goal to go see your granddaughter get married or see your grandchildren graduate? Is your goal maybe they don't have family and their goal is to remain comfortable at home and they don't want to go back to the hospital? So then we talk about how are we going to obtain that goal for them? And everybody's different. So everybody has their own needs and wants and desires. And so we have a very individualized approach with each patient to really define what they want. So these are bucket lists for folks who are saying to you, here's what I really would like to do. Absolutely, yes. What's the most interesting that you've had a chance to help a patient with? No one's wanted to go to Mars yet on that Mars uh, journey. No, actually one of my patients wanted to go to Jamaica because she had family members in Jamaica and she was um, dying of cancer. So her goal and her wish was to go to Jamaica. And were you able to help her get to Jamaica? I mean, in terms of health, did she make it? Unfortunately, she did not. She passed before that, right. But 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 having that dream and having that idea and working towards something, I mean, I think that's a little bit, um, you know, having that positive attitude. And with Skype and FaceTime, you can connect her with her relatives in Jamaica. She did. Actually, she did FaceTime, and she was able to connect. She just wasn't physically able to get to Jamaica. But at her end of life, we were able to transition her to hospice where she was pain-free because she was suffering very much so. Uh, and I think that the the issues around um, pain management, and I know WellMed also has a, an entire pain management program, that, that's another huge issue. And maybe a lot of caregivers that are out there listening don't realize that there are within primary care um, and the you know the immediate specialties around them that it is possible to have conversations about staying at home, about the type of health care that you want um, and where you want to have it and how important is you know your pain or how important is having enough energy to do certain activities, which might mean a different treatment regimen. Correct. And also... Um pain, tiredness, depression, anxiety, nausea, just some very simple things that we may feel they're simple, but they are so tremendous, you know, for some patients that really need to get a handle on. And once we cure somebody's anxiety or their nausea, then they're able to do 10 other things that they wanted to do. So it's real important to see what is inhibiting that patient at that given time. It's interesting. I'm thinking of these big macro bucket list items. And what the patient may say is, you know, I want to quit feeling like I have to throw up all the time. Right. Something very simple that we would think, oh, we'll just pop a pill or something. But no, I mean, sometimes it's very much more complex. Mm -hmm. Or maybe somebody's um, 
on chemo treatments and the chemo is making them sick and they're getting really nauseated. And so, okay, so we need to assess, okay, we've tried this, we've tried this. What's our next step at this point in time? What do you like about what you do? I love, of course, my patients. That has to be number one. But I also love my teammates. We are very close, very close-knit community of nurses, nurse practitioners, doctors, of course, and social workers, and all the administrative staff. Um, we really back each other up and really try to take care of our patients the best possible way. And I would think for some of your patients, uh, you, Amy, become their daughter, their daughter-in-law, their close friend, because... Uh, for many, they don't get a lot of visitors. You become the visitor. A lot of our patients, um, actually, uh, from our side of town, have a lot of uh, close family members, but they know that we're a call away. And if they're not feeling well, they know who to call. And we always educate our patients each visit call this number. If you're not feeling well, we're here for you. 24-7. Yes. Somebody's on call 24-7. So we can advise them what to do if somebody's per se not working. Also, WellMed has the extended hours clinics that are very helpful and the weekend clinics as well. So We're going to talk more with Amy Quintero in just a moment. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. Amy is with the Bridges program, uh, which is a WellMed program to provide not only in-home care, but part of the palliative care program. And I would assume, uh, Carol, just back from Washington for the aging conference, palliative care had to be one of the topics that came up. Well, it's interesting because palliative care did come up um, and the need to do more work with the social services in the community along with the healthcare settings. So when we come back from break, I would love to ask Amy about some of her conversations with the family members you're talking about. Uh, she's telling us that they've got large families or family connections. So what's the role in the family um, in a Bridges program? And the interaction with the caregivers as well. We'll pick that up in just a moment. On Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel, and we're having a wonderful conversation with nurse practitioner Amy Quintero, who is with the WellMed Bridges program. That's a great name for a program. Whoever came up with the name knew what they were doing because you really do bridge between the primary care physician and specialists in care, providing that extra help for your patients. Absolutely, and I don't know who came up with that name, but I'm going to have to go on a limb and say our founding doctor, Dr. Glazier, but I don't know. So (laughs) if you ever have the chance to listen to Dr. Elizabeth Glazier talk about palliative care and their program, she's absolutely fabulous. You will want to run and enroll, you know, as one of her patients immediately. So you have a wonderful mentor in Dr. Glazier. Absolutely. She's amazing. So, you know, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned family members, uh, and since we're a show talking to caregivers, what is what do you feel is the role of the family um, in your Bridges program in palliative care? Are they important, not important? Our family members are key to the success of our program and to maintaining our patients' health and well-being. So basically, we try to encompass a family member at each visit to talk. If they're not physically there, call them on the phone and discuss what what happened on the visit that day because they are such a crucial role in our program. They're the ones that, you know, um, I guess comfort the patient, are there for the patient, and really know if a patient's status has changed. They are a true historian of our patients. And the caregivers that you work with, uh, you include them in all the discussions with the patients? Of course, if the patient wants, and most of our patients do, because they live with a daughter, a son, a niece, or whoever they live with. And if they don't, say some of our patients have 24-hour hired caregivers, the daughter's like, I'm a phone call away, just call me after the visit and we can talk. And I always try to call and say, before I go in, is there anything I need to address so that I can be aware of, so I can get it, you know, and look for whatever they're concerned about. How many patients are in your patient load? Um, well, we're divided into two teams, the south team and the north. 
And the North team right now is running about 280 and the South about 200. So total about 480 patients. That's a lot of patients. It is a lot of home visiting patients. Yes. Especially, yes, when you, if you thought that they were all coming into the clinic, it would be one thing because that's enough for almost, that's a physician load for a, a full-time physician for the year. But you're uh, motoring around to their homes. Correct, right. So um, it can be a little challenging geographically. Um, the office staff has to, you know, kind of really gauge where each person is. We look at the map, look at zip codes. I mean, anything that can help. So do you ever find situations where you get in the home and you think, ooh, this probably isn't the right environment for this particular patient? Absolutely. So we have a fabulous social worker who, if there's even an inkling of a you know, doubt that this is probably a troublesome situation going into the home, we call her and say, is there any possible way you can meet with us here? Because um, I think we're going to have some issues. Um, if you get into the home and don't realize that it's going to be a problem, then um, you can, there's a lot of resources out there. Your social worker, number one. Secondly, APS, Adult Protective Services, is always a backup. If you're in doubt, call APS because, you know, you don't want to endanger somebody's lives. And if you recognize a problem, it's our duty to report it. Now, Wellman's had a great relationship with Adult Protective Services through the grant that you were able to pull together to identify Seniors at risk for abuse. Right, and I, I hope you're calling our internal APS guy I, on our grant. And if you're not, I'll get you his phone number. So we have Adult Protective Services embedded within WellMed, and Ray Kirsch, I'm going to give a shout-out to him. He's just fabulous. Does a heck of a job. He does a wonderful job, and he was also in Washington with us talking about our grant. We've actually screened over 12,000 patients for suspicion of elder abuse, and that just means that we're, we're trying to screen all of our patients once a year to see you know, are there any red flags so that people like Amy, you know, if something or radar's going off, something doesn't uh, feel right. And, and in situations where you have somebody who's sick and frail, it's easy to take advantage of them. Um, the amount of care that they need may put more strain on family members. If they've had a difficult relationship in the past, then they can really tolerate it this time. I just um, had my six-month well-med checkup. Not good. Everything's good. Thank you very much. But they went through... Uh, the screening uh, with me, as I'm sure they do with every patient. Uh, Do you ever feel as if uh, someone's taking advantage of you? Has anyone been physical with you? Uh, et cetera, et cetera. They asked all the right questions. That's right. And and so they you didn't get any referrals. You were <laughs> no, we the only don't one have to worry hits, about you. <laughs> the only one who hits me is uh, <laughs> our little three-year-old Kennedy. He, <laughs> he, he becomes physical. <laughs> And That's play, right. Plays, That's right. You uh, just put your hand on his head and right. hold him straight up and, and push him back. Getting any closer. Yeah, so that's right. great. That's great. I mean, a lot of people think adult protective services are the the bad guys, and actually, they come in with a lot of resources and alternatives um, and do a great job. Well, so what are the danger signs that you've seen? Uh, going obviously keeping patient confidentiality in mind, but what have you seen that raised that red flag for you to call the social worker? Well, if I see somebody, um, like for instance, I had a patient that was clearly demented, um, unable to ambulate or walk appropriately. She had a very shuffling gait. Um, She couldn't open the door. She lived alone. That was a red flag for me. And I told the family met me there at the visit and I said, you know, this is not a safe situation. I'm going to call APS and not to be punitive, but because I'm really concerned about the situation, the patient was refusing to go anywhere to be placed, like in a long-term care facility or in a personal care home. She didn't want to leave her home, rightfully so, but she wasn't competent to make that decision either. Um, And then I had another situation where I walked in and couldn't get through the door. There was like a very narrow pathway to get in, so stacks of papers everywhere, very much so a hoarder. And husband said, I'm sorry, I can't move anything because the wife doesn't want me to move anything. That's not a safe situation because if there's a fire risk or, I mean, if she falls, I mean, just... So what were you able to do in that case? Well, we contacted the social worker. We contacted APS. APS came in and they cleaned up some of the... Clutter. Yeah, the newspapers and such. And that's pretty much what they did, which was a good help because that decreased the risk. Um, in the first situation, APS, um, it just, I don't know the follow-up on that yet. 
So from your standpoint, you feel comfortable making those calls? I do, because I think it's important. And I mean, it's our responsibility. And it's not, once again, to be punitive or to say you cannot take care of your loved one. It's just, I think we need additional assistance here. And this is what um, I'm going to do. Well, and a lot of people don't realize that self-neglect is one of the most you know, common types of neglect, particularly if you have somebody who's living alone, it's a, a condition that may have deteriorated either because of hoarding, it's unsanitary, too many cats. I mean, there can be a lot of reasons. Um, and they choose to live in a very bad environment. And once they lose capacity where they're not really choosing, they just are neglecting their own health, it's dangerous. And APS can help intervene in that. Go back to 2003. You graduate from the UT Health Science Center, get your undergraduate degree in nursing. Uh, where you are now was something you ever thought of, never thought of? I'm going to say a 50% test. Um, <laughs> you know, I always wanted, well, when I came back to Walmart as an RN, I rounded with Dr. Eva Lopez in um, the hospital type setting and the SNF setting. So at that point, I was like, I would really like to round in the nursing home you know, for full time as a nurse practitioner. So I was like, okay, well, let me go back to school for that. So I I wanted to do it. I just didn't know if I was going to be able to do it. I love that you went into the nursing home and said, I would like to spend more time here because, you know, that's, that's a special gift. A lot of people don't find a nursing home environment an environment they want to work in. Um, and there's they such run a, from it. There's such a huge need for caring, well-educated professionals to come in and work in the nursing homes. With my the brother, who's there. our PhD psychologist, uh, ended up being caregiver for my mom and dad. He lives in Cleveland, Ohio. I don't. Uh, and, and he joked. He said, "You know, the one thing he did in his practice as a uh, clinical psychologist, he never wanted to see seniors. Didn't want to come near him. Didn't want to touch him. Didn't want to talk to him." And of course, he ends up as a caregiver for his aging parents. Yeah, that's karma. And he did a great job. And that's by the karma. Way. <laughs> yeah, he did a great job. But you, you sought that as a career. I did. I did. So I would do when I came back with Wilmet in two thousand and eight. I think it was two thousand eight. Yes, um, I did um, skilled nursing home visits. So basically, our patients would go to get rehab in the facility to get better to go home or to go mm-hmm. to their next place of living. And, and a lot of people don't realize how unusual that is. So that's the type of coordinated care that um, WellMed provides. But a lot of people, if you're listening, if that doesn't sound like getting seen in the hospital, getting seen at home, getting seen in the nursing facility all by your primary care group, um, that's because it's this is the way medicine is moving and WellMed is just ahead of the curve. Continuity of care. Absolutely. A lot of our patients really value that added service that, oh, it's a well-med doctor taking care of me in the hospital. Oh, it's a well-med doctor or nurse practitioner in the skilled nursing facility. Oh, what? I can be seen at home by well-med physician. You know, so it's really, really nice. And a lot of times our patients appreciate that very, very much. And another goal that we really focus on is, you know, advanced care planning and talking about advanced directives. So that's another key piece to our program because, you know, 90% of people want to discuss that, but the conversation is never brought up. So what? give me an example of an advanced directive. So basically we ask patients if they have a medical power of attorney, somebody that can make their medical decisions if they're no longer able to make their medical decisions. We discuss out-of-hospital DNR. So if you should stop breathing, if your heart um, should stop beating, what are your wishes? Are your wishes to, okay, that's it, I'm going with God, versus, okay, try everything, do everything, I want everything done to see if I can get back to life. Someone was telling me that they work as an EMS uh, here in this community, and uh, they responded to a home where there was cardiac arrest, and tattooed on his chest was DNR, so that the message was right there. Yeah, I don't think that would count as a hospital. Do you no, know? it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I asked him, did you pay attention? He said, no, it's not enforceable. Did you have paper? Yeah, <laughs> right. Wow, you're saying, wake. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not even going to joke about that. <laughs> no, but that no. DNR, DNR right. tattooed. Yeah. Wow. So you hope that he's communicated that to somebody else around him. That would him. be the key. And, and that's something that I'm sure, uh, Amy Quintero, you bring up with uh, your patients. If you have an advanced directive, if you have plans, they can't be secret. Correct. You need to discuss them. You need to let somebody know. You need to delegate somebody in case I cannot make my decisions. 
who's going to make them for me and make sure they know what your wishes are. That's right. And you can find places in your home where you can keep copies so that if EMS is called to your home, you know, a vial of life, um, you know, a message somewhere on your door, I have a copy of my DNR is in the disk, you know, something that lets emergency personnel know that you've got that document. For those who are listening uh, who may have uh, daughters, granddaughters, great-grandsons, would you recommend your career nurse practitioner? Absolutely, I would recommend my career. Um, I think nursing in general, not just nurse practitioner, but nursing in general is a growing field. And you can have your pick of multiple age groups or multiple roles. So definitely so. And you're in demand. Yes, we're always in demand. So that's true. I think there are, oh, it is true. There are hospitals now paying premiums to get nurses in. So I hear. So oh, yeah. No, yeah, don't let her talk to anyone. No, you're not allowed to so talk to anybody. They, they want to keep you at Wellman. <laughs> for, for your decision now, and you're still obviously relatively young, this is something you want to keep doing for a long, long time in terms of working in the Bridges program? Yes, I, I really enjoy it, and I really think we're making a huge impact on our population. Well, I appreciate you coming in. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Amy Quintero in Bridges at WellMed. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank I'm you. Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. Up next, Dr. Jamie Heisman. You got it. And take 10, right here on 930 AM, The Answer. If you're interested in getting fit and you care about seniors who are struggling, the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors is just for you. Doctors agree physical fitness may be the magic bullet for so many health-related issues. So please join us for a family-friendly event Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio. The event benefits programs supporting seniors and caregivers in our community. And meet special guest, District 124 State Rep. Ina Minjares. There will be plenty of food, games, prizes, fitness activities. Hey, it's pet friendly and a whole lot more. Plus seniors age 60 and over and children 10 and younger run or walk for free. So the cost is just $25 for regular registration through April 27th and $30 on race day. If you prefer to sleep in, it's just $25 for sleepwalkers. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio. To register, go to WellMedCharitableFoundation.org. Well, not that all of our programs aren't entertaining, fun, and informative, but Take 10 brings a special characteristic that uh, we really enjoy, which is Dr. Jamie Heisman, nationally known psychotherapist, expert on caregiving and addictions and Carol Zerniel and I spin around a topic, and take 10 is 10 minutes of talking about an interesting topic, which Carol is going to toss out right now. Right now. So, Jamie, um, in in working (laughs) with some families, um, it seems that sometimes money is the great motivator and decision maker of all things. So what do we do when we're working with a family that is more that that money really is whether you know that it, it's valid or or maybe they have more money than they think but so many families are afraid to spend the money um and sometimes that is in disregard for you know what might be in the best interest of the person that you're caring for it's not what the needs of the person are it's just money you know, Carol, money has always been the biggest issue in terms of alcohol and drug treatment, which is my world, that um, I used to be in the world of adolescence, and I would have families coming to me that had huge amount of resources. Their child was dying of a chronic and terminal illness, uh, was being arrested left and right, and they would all come to me and say, no, but we have a college fund for him. We can't even go into that. And I said, if you don't go into it, your son will be dead, and you'll have a college fund for nobody. And then usually I could get their attention. I don't think it's a huge difference when I work with um, boomers, seniors, and caregivers. Money seems to be an issue that everybody has a different perspective on. In fact, if you will, caregivers, um, those who are taking care of their loved ones, both primary and long-distance caregivers, uh, that issue of money and legacy and wills and who gets what and what gets what and where are the dollars, nobody puts it next to, I shouldn't say nobody, but the majority don't put it next to the health and wellness 
of their loved one, the quality of life that still exists for their loved one. And that's a huge issue. Well, it is, and it can be, it's a tremendous barrier, um, caused great discord among family members. So, um, you know, I was talking to a family recently where you've got multiple siblings and two of them are let's spend the money and the other two are we don't need to. You know, all four are staring at, you know, the very elderly mother. Um, so, and, and I know end of life is, is a little bit different, but when you were working with the family, what kind of recommendations are there levers? What do we do, um, to try to get everybody on the same page or to maybe take money out of the equation and make it about what's best for the person? Well, listen, it's true. As far as I'm concerned, money is a clinical issue. It might be greenbacks. It might be coins. It might be bonds and stocks. But I see it all as clinical, and you, in your description, is truly correct. If you looked at the two people who don't, don't mind providing dollars and cents, who really are probably much more heart-centered or follow some loving-kindness piece and really want their loved one to spend what they need to spend to have high quality of life, I'm sure you're going to see a concept of positive psychology or happiness with them. Uh, this is a group that really does you know, the right thing because they, they feel a high need to allow their parents to live a wonderful life. When you look at the other two you described who really don't see money as an issue, a couple of things may be true. A, they may be poor, which is not necessarily the case. The beauty of seniors and getting seniors' help is that you can get your, your, um, your, your money, if you will, at 59 and a half from your uh, 401K. Um, you have dollars and cents and bonds and trust. But it's a clinical issue. Since it's a clinical issue, that's why I believe when money becomes an issue, you need to bring a third party in who is uh, you know, trained in gerontology and geriatric care who can facilitate what resources could everybody provide and how would that be equally sort of accepted among everyone. I hate to throw water on this, but not everybody has a 401K or bonds and trusts that they can cash out. You're so right, Ron. And, and one big thing is this. If you can't do it, you can't do it. But you can maybe give sweat equity, quote, unquote. But to your point, Ron, it, it's true. Uh, you know, you, often the loved one that we're dealing with literally has the 401K or does have stocks or does have dollars. And in this poor, heinous sort of environment of, of Medicare and Medicaid, we have to spend it down just so they can live in a, a skilled nursing facility, which is sad. But even that money becomes contentious because uh, you, the one that you described who doesn't have a 401K, who has little money for retirement, uh, they may be looking at the situation different from the others. But you can't give it away uh, to spend down uh, unless it's done several years before that time when they have to go into a Medicaid bed. I see people doing it fast and furiously now. You know, in, unfortunately, in senior care, not many people have a lot of information about this world. Um, obviously, Carol, the gerontologist, runs the NCOA, executive director of the foundation. She knows every subtle nuance here. But when you become a caregiver, it's like a two-by-four that hits you. And all of a sudden, they find out that Medicare only pays 100 days in a skilled nursing facility, and what am I going to do? I have seen families, unfortunately, and I think this goes to the dignity and respect of the loved one, bend down as fast as they possibly can just to qualify. Right. So there are different, you know, there are different mechanisms that you can use to spend down and qualify for Medicaid. But I think, you know, what's really helpful for families is to kind of have a black and white conversation about this where you do bring in somebody who understands um, elder law and elder finances and say, you know, this is a situation, you do have this much money, this is going to last this long, or, you know, you're really close to qualifying for Medicaid, um, and this is what you would do to go ahead and, and get ready to qualify, so that you kind of take the guessing out of it. Um, and then, and maybe thinking about, well, if I have to spend money on some residential care, what is it I'm not going to be spending money on, you know, in terms of that maybe you're giving up the car, you sell the car and some gas. And, and divesting of resources is never easy, but there are there may be resources that not everyone in the family is thinking about. And that's you a really, conversation uh, you should have, yeah, Jamie and Carol, uh, before, long before you actually need that conversation. 
Absolutely. And I think Carol's point is really well taken. I just did three months ago a seminar for the Virginia Elder Care Attorneys Association. And I have to tell you, Carol's right on target. I would bring an elder care attorney, and they truly can navigate everything quite well. They're very, very, very strong and comprehensive backgrounds around the system and geriatrics. And also I would bring a skilled um, financial advisor who deals with senior care. Um, these are two-third parties. But again and, and again, and I must say this to your listeners, it does sometimes become a clinical issue, which drives anxiety, drives depression, drives, you know, a stress. And so the geriatric care manager or the social worker who's trained in geriatric care also needs to be involved. This is not a time, I'm not saying the money to the loved one, but this is not a time to hold back on resources to help you get to a solution. Well, and I would say that because money more than anything else just about pushes people's buttons, gets those emotions running high, that really is a situation where it's good to have, you know, someone, either your elder law attorney, your financial advisor, social worker, you know, somebody who is independent of the family because we, as families, sometimes we don't like to listen to each other. Huh. Um, and then, you know, somebody else, as Jamie has so often said, somebody else is, is the messenger um, and gives us the options. And that sometimes that's more believable. And caregivers can support the decision by a key licensed third party that's not doesn't have a dog in this hunt, if you will, and really look like heroes. And I, I agree entirely with how Carol just reframed it. Carol, you get the last word. Well, I, you know, I would just say, you know, all of us as caregivers, we have to make tough decisions, and sometimes those decisions involve money. And so in thinking about dignity and death with dignity and living with dignity, let's put that conversation at the top of our thinking as we have the rest of the conversations. I like that. Dr. Jamie, thank you very much. Carol, thank you. This is Caregiver SOS On Air, Take 10, which comes to you at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS programs. I'm Ron Aaron. You hear us on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and we come to you every week Sundays at 6 in the afternoon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. If you're interested in getting fit and you care about seniors who are struggling, the WellMed Charitable Foundation's 2016 5K Run Walk for Seniors is just for you. Doctors agree physical fitness may be the magic bullet for so many health-related issues. So please join us for a family-friendly event Saturday, April 30th at 8 a.m. at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio. The event benefits programs supporting seniors and caregivers in our community and meet special guest, District 124 State Rep. Ina Minjares. There will be plenty of food, games, prizes, fitness activities, hey, it's pet-friendly, and a whole lot more. Plus, seniors age 60 and over and children 10 and younger run or walk for free. So the cost is just $25 for regular registration through April 27th and $30 on race day. If you prefer to sleep in, it's just $25 for sleepwalkers. It's all at the Wheatley Heights Sports Complex on the east side of San Antonio, to register, go to wellmedcharitablefoundation.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.